everybody. This is Greg Lechner on the Abstract Podcast, and we have Warren Zena, founder of the CRO Collective and Zena Consulting Group on with us today. Warren, please say hi. Hey, Greg. Thank you. This is really nice to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to chat with you today, Warren. Um, early in my career, I thought the, uh, the elusive title of CRO was something that uh, I wanted to... Uh, earn way too fast in my career and looking back on it um, I'm glad that it didn't happen in the time frame that it hasn't happened yet um, how long ago was that I'm just curious like when was that that you were thinking about being a CRO um, yeah so that was the first day as my role of an SDR eight years ago so I, I was like I'm going to be a CRO even though I have only been an SDR one day now, I'm fascinated by that I'm curious to know eight years ago as an SDR what your perception uh, was that what a CRO was that had you want to be one? What, what was that? Uh, I imagined it as this superstar salesperson that drove a Ferrari and knew how to grow companies literally overnight into publicly traded companies from startup. Um, so that was a, here's the thing. When I started as an SDR Warren, um, I came from the world of gyms. I had no idea what scaling a company was about. All I knew is that um, the CRO title was kind of the pinnacle of a sales career. And um, I quickly was proven wrong. But, uh, you know, I think the my experience in my first sales career, Warren, helped solidify that actually the CRO was none of those things. And uh, the CRO is actually a much harder job than I had made it out to be. Um, in my first sales career in three years, the company I was with actually had three different CROs. Mm-hmm. Um, every year, that previous year's CRO would be fired and the next one would come in with um, amazing ideas, um, new changes, reorgs, re-territories, and ultimately made me realize, um, which is why I'm really excited to chat with you, is that there's a strong correlation between the success of the CRO being successful and whether the company is successful. And um, it seems like you're uniquely trying to tackle this problem and solve this problem. And um, I'm really curious to understand kind of what was the catalyst that made you want to go after this role of the CRO and kind of making it a role that doesn't, uh, isn't on the choppy block every 12 months. Yeah, it's a great question. And thanks for that. Um, I'll just respond to a couple of things before I answer. But one is that, you know, strangely, the description that you provided of the way that you perceived to be, you know, the CRO to be at that time, uh, A, is there's two things about that answer. One is that it's strangely almost exactly the way that I describe the elusive idea of a CRO in a lot of my presentations, almost word for word. So either you're cheating because you read my stuff or B, we're just really <laughs> incredibly bizarrely like-minded. But I do describe this sort of unicorn-like you know, idea of the CRO as being very similar to the way you just described it, all those accolades, right? The Ferrari driving uh, you know, killer guy, right? Um, a and B, for a lot of people, that perception hasn't changed at all. And that's exactly why it is that I chose to do this, among other reasons. But that was mainly it. And I, I'll, I won't bore you with too much detail because it can be lengthy. But the impetus for this entire endeavor 
was you know throughout my career as a salesperson, running sales teams and then running strategy teams and then running marketing teams and then becoming a buyer of marketing and sales services when I became an executive. It gave me a, a unique perspective on many aspects of B2B businesses. And it occurred to me, uh, sir, I wouldn't say an epiphany, you know, it's one of those movies where all of a sudden some guy has some like flash of light and he wakes uh-huh. up and he's like, Bro. you know, it was a gradual understanding where dots became connected in the area where marketing organizations, sales organizations and revenue organizations have matured and evolved in their complexity over the last, let's say five years, right? Uh-huh. And the main reason is because as the tech sector matured, the SDR model came into play, the marketing automation systems became more prolific, programmatic advertising became the way to deliver both ads, messages, and also deliver software solutions to customers. And the speed to market that companies are expected to hit today. Yep. So what's happening, another factor is, is you know, when a, when a company is founded, right, there's this sort of rapid trajectory that companies are almost expected to hit. It's unrealistically crazy how much work these companies have to do to meet, it, you know, there's no different than let's say, I don't want to get too prolific here or weird here, but when someone first ran the first four minute mile, all of a sudden now everybody's got to run a four minute mile or they got to come close to a four minute mile or else you're not, you're slow. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, in, in one way, a lot of people were celebrating the, the guy who ran the four minute mile and I should know his name, but most people cursed him. They were like, screw you, dude. I, I, a six minute mile, people thought I was a hero. Now I'm a loser. Right. And I think what happened is that companies are making money so fast and, and they're making money in ways that you and I both know it doesn't make any sense because many times they're not profitable. So when I say making money, I mean they're just they're, they're evaluating themselves a certain way. Yep. And it's being it's and so companies are under these pressures. And what ended up happening is I'm getting to my point here, is that the sales, marketing, and customer success organizations um, became increasingly pressured by the requirements on companies to hit those targets. Yep. And the pressure the pressure resulted in an exacerbation of existing issues that that live inside of any organization, which are fragmentation and misalignment between different functions within a revenue operation. So, you know, if you look at any company, sales has its own sort of culture, right? Independently of the other cultures of the company, which they have their own metrics and they have their own trajectory based on their top-down, usually top-down projections and each individual salesperson's respective goals, et cetera. And, you know, they're being measured that way, right? Pipeline growth, right? Year-over-year revenue, et cetera. And then you also have the marketing departments who have their own independent metrics, right? Which are things like, you know, what we call marketing qualified leads, right? And there are always things like how many white papers are people downloading and leading fingerprints on? And are we targeting the right people for those white papers? And how many times can we convert those people to sales? And I think this is sort of broken anyway. We all sort of know that this is just sort of a vanity thing. And, and uh, because marketing departments are under such threat, they cling to these metrics. And this is not a knock on marketing. It's just the way it is, right? Marketing is usually the first investment to go. It's looked at as a cost center. I think we all know now it's not, but it's yep. usually looked at as a cost center. So when you've got this dynamic, which I just described, where you've got a sales department that's running off of its own direction, chasing its own goals, and then a marketing department running off in its own direction, chasing its own goals, when anyone normal thinking would realize that those two have to be connected in some way because one's supposed to feed the other. Yep. And then the last part is you got this new organization in the last no, seven years, which is the customer success organization. It used to be called an account group, right? Now it's a success success group, right? 
And, you know, that term was sort of derived around the idea that, you know, we want to make our customers successful, right? We want to, you know, make a successful engagement with our offering, et cetera, which is good. It's good. But they have their own goals. Yeah, but they have their own goals too, right? They do. Of course they do. They have their own goals, right? Their own goals are things like, you know, lifetime customer value, right? Time value. Exactly, right? Now, that's a third other whole entire set of metrics that are also not related to either one of the two that I just referenced before. So I have three separate organizations within a revenue organization that are actually running against their own respective metrics that are supposed to be related to each other. They're supposed to have impact on each other, but in fact, they're actually fighting with each other because each one wants to have credit for whatever contributions are made to the bottom line. And it's impossible to know because no one's measuring things properly. And And so it ends up... Exactly. Customer when, churn happens, that sales fault for closing the right customers. When sales doesn't hit their number, it's marketing's fault for not hitting the right number of leads. Yep. yep. And so, so here's the problem you have is you then have, this is the other where this whole thing kind of came to me is what's making this worse is let's hire someone who runs sales. Let's make a head of sales, right? So we're going to put this person in charge of this one function, right? And we're going to measure this person's remit on the success of that particular group that he or she oversees. Mm-hmm. Then let's get a CMO who oversees the marketing organization. That CMO's job is to manage the expectations and metrics and outcomes of that particular group. And then it has head of customer success. So now what we've done is we put leadership functions on top of each one of these three organizations that are separately trying to fight for their own survival or credit or whatever. And there's no coordination or what I call alignment that's needed for the three of those organizations to function properly and create the right outcomes for the organization. And so the answer to that, this is where this is all heading to, is the chief revenue officer, right? The chief revenue officer really is not the Ferrari driving sales leader, but a real true revenue leader, right? Operational leader, organizational functional leader who has really strong business acumen, understands how businesses work, understands financial models, is an excellent marketer and salesperson and understands how the business runs and more importantly, understands how to do two things. One, build a revenue coalition of organizations that are all designed to feed each other's outcomes, all predicated based on what the customer experience is, right? And their also job is to create alignment between function so that there's a real cohesive revenue operation, right? This is a very specific type of skill set. It's a very complex skill set. So the the person that comes out of a sales role might be really, really killer at building sales organizations, but might not be a fit for the job in the manner that I just described. So you've got two problems. One is you got the funnel coming into the role or all salespeople or heads of sales whom are not really prepared for the role, which the way I just described. And then you got CEOs who don't really fully understand how to implement a CRO role in the manner that I just described. And so it's a marriage made in hell, right? They hire this person <laughs> who comes in with the wrong understanding of the role and the person was brought in to do something that's not going to work for the company. So naturally you could see how, like you said, 12 to actually more like 17 to 18 months later on average, they get fired and they get let go. And, you know, it's both a big blame game. And the thing is that they're, they're both right, right? The CMO, the CEO is right because the CEO is like, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. And the CRO is right because he's saying, you didn't direct me or appoint me or support me properly to succeed in the first place, right? 
You put mm-hmm. me in a no-win situation. So, so the CRO Collective is intended to focus specifically on this role and how this role should be utilized more effectively to build more healthy, sustainable, and scalable revenue operations and help CEOs and CROs understand what the relationship between them should be. And to your earlier point, which is great, is even more than you people think, the CRO is the most important role you hire in a company because the three most customer-facing parts of an organization are the sales, marketing, and customer success functions. They're the, they're the parts of the company that touch the customer. So they have to be the ones that are run the most properly for a company to sustain themselves. So the CRO is the most important critical hire that a CEO will make. And my job is to help CEOs mitigate the risks associated with hiring at CRO to ensure a successful outcome for the company. That's what I'm doing. Okay. So what's interesting about that, and you kind of answered a question that I wanted to dive into a little bit already, but I have yet to be at a company um, where the CRO actually oversaw all three of those departments. Usually they're the C-level title of sales, and then they have a counterpart CMO in marketing, and they typically have like a chief customer officer. And so it's almost like just, you know, I agree, chief revenue officer should oversee all three, but it's almost like CEOs needed a way to hire a C-level executive, but only give them a sales title. So they gave them the CRO title. Have you seen that a lot in, in the work you've been doing and the people you've been talking to where... It's more of just a, a C-level sales leader? Yeah, that's typically, not always. I, I'm happy to say things seem to be changing a little bit. I'm seeing more, you know, mature, modern, or, or complex, you know, strategic appointments. But yes, I'd say still 90% of the chief revenue officers are sales leaders with a C title. And the reasons for this are a couple things. So you pointed to one of them. One is a CEO, and I've I've been a president. I have a company and I've had oversight as an executive over large teams. So I'm intimately, personally familiar with this particular dynamic. So I'm not just speaking like out of school, like from the sidelines, like I had this problem and I get it. Mm -hmm. Is you sort of have to make your people happy, right? So if if you have a team that's working, you know, you want your best players to be happy because when your best players are happy, they'll keep contributing their best play to the team. And, you know, it's like a basketball team or a baseball team. That's why these, these guys are whiners and they're, 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 they're always bitching about everything because, you know, they contribute a lot to the bottom line. They have good batting averages. So they, you know, they get a lot of, uh, you know, whatever they're, 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 they're running back, you know, uh, yards per, per game or high or consistently. And so they know that they command a very strong position with the team to know that the team's success on a game day, game today, game day to day game basis is largely predicated on the performance that they do. Yep. And so the coach wants to make that player happy, right? Understandably, right? It makes sense that the coach wants to make that player happy for numerous reasons, not just because of the way that the team wins, but also because of the amount of revenue that that particular player ultimately results in for the team too, right? So they keep on giving these bloated contracts and other things like that, that make these, it's insane, right? And the reason is because it's sort of worth it, you know? So the analogy I'm using here is very similar. If you, if you have a team and you have a top salesperson who's making your company the bulk of the money or is consistently making a lot of revenue or is running a sales team really well, there's going to come a point where that particular you know, person, understandably, and I'd coach this person to do this, is to go to the table and negotiate terms and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a killer. I'm your superstar here. So what can you do for me? And a 
piece of currency that the CEO has in his back pocket or her back pocket always is a title, right? It's very easy to say, you know, I'll tell you, I'll make you a cheap revenue cheap, cheap, cheap officer. Yep. Because right? the title comes with a lot, right? You get a title like that. Now you're part of the C-suite, right? You have executive authority and all the other egotistical, right? Another, you know, very tantalizing and, you know, tempting type of things that come with a title like that. Then understand that most people who are ambitious in sales want those type of things, right? Yeah. You, you wanted it, right? I mean, you, you, you're, you're a whippersnapper and you're thinking about that role too, right? With the yep. you know, stars in your eyes. And so, you know, these, the reason, I guess what I'm saying in a long-winded way is that these titles are dull daughter, not strategic business decisions many times. They're more like just ways to sort of, you know, dole out things to compensate people and move pieces around a puzzle. So that the CEO doesn't left, himself in a vulnerable position where best players leave. So it's not uncommon to see a chief revenue officer being someone who was promoted into the role for this reason. And then the other thing is the CMO role. This is a really weird one is the CMO role is in, is in my best view. I don't have the science on this, but I think this is the case. If you look at the B2C sector, right? You look at like a beverage business, right? Or you're looking at apparel business, or you look at like a sports apparel, like Nike's a perfect example, right? The marketing function of these companies is their whole business. I mean, the reason why McDonald's and, and, and Nike do so well is because their marketing is so good, you know? Oh, yeah. And so yep. the CMO of these companies is an extremely critical position. I'd say, matter of fact, that the marketing person at a large scale, like apparel or lifestyle company, is your most important hire because everyone knows it's all perception why people buy, buy brands like this. At this point now, the technology for sneakers is so good that, you know, you can buy a lot of sneaker brands, you get a good sneaker, but you buy, buy Nike because they, they've said something to you, right? And I think that the CMO role, the gloss of the role in the, in the consumer business, somehow or another, about 15 years ago, wafted over into the B2B business. And there's this sort of perception that the CMO is like a very like sort of haughty, you know, title that someone who's a creative person at a company should get. I, I don't know if it, if it strategically makes sense for an organization and a B2B company to have someone that's a CMO within the same, you know, sort of context as someone who works for a consumer based company. And, and I don't same. mean to say this, I don't mean to say this at all. And I don't want to say this. I want to make sure I'm not saying that I'm diminishing the importance of the value of a marketing function at a B2B company. I'm just saying it's different. I'm saying that the role itself, the function it plays is much different than a role it plays at a B2C company. And as a result, my point I'm making is that the CMO role seems to be one that's kind of very liberally given out. Almost all these B2B companies have some CMO. It's almost like sometimes they'll hire a marketing person and they'll just call that person a CMO from day one. And I don't know, I think that if a lot of the companies that I work with were to like think about the implications of that with a little bit more thought, they'd realize, wow, you know, if we call somebody a CMO, we've sort of set ourselves up to a position where now we put somebody into this executive suite that we're maybe creating a collision with someone whom we need to hire later that needs to oversee the function of that person. And now we've created a political problem for ourselves. And that's yep. the issue. And so, so what I'm trying to resolve is I can't fix that. I mean, mm -hmm. the companies I work with, they many times have a CMO. So there's a way in which 
this particular philosophy can be worked to make the CMO and the CRO work together in a really cohesive way. But it requires, as you could probably understand, a lot different type of talking and communication and, and education for them to kind of get their arms around the implications of not doing it that way. So that's a lot of what I'm working on, too, is kind of to resolve that issue that's kind of been created by some legacy perceptions about the particular areas that we see. That's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I never really thought about the whole correlation between B2C, B2B. But I think it makes complete sense. And I mean, you, you don't hear about a chief revenue officer having um, a, as big a seat at the table at some place like a Nike than the CEO. No, and they <clears throat> wouldn't. It wouldn't make any sense. You know, it, it's yeah. you know, they have just they have you know individual sales managers and distribution managers and other things like that that drive their sales. And what they really need, actually, those companies is they need distribution. They just need to be on every shelf and every, you know, footlocker and everything like that. So you can ex- access that shoe no matter when you want it. Then they just do a lot of marketing and someone can just go anywhere they want and pick it up. Right. That's the, that's yeah. the model there. I, you know, but with the, with the, the brands you and I are talking about, they don't have that benefit. They need a really strong uh, revenue str- strategy to get people to become buyers and, and they need that that revenue person is a much, much more critical role in that scenario than a marketing person is. And, 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 and it, again, it doesn't mean to demean or diminish the value of the marketing because it's critically important in the way the CRO organizes the business. But it's not the reason why people buy. In the B2B space, they buy because they have a functional need, you know, for a Solve solution. Problem. And they have yeah. much, much more difficult kind of uh, buying cycles. It's not so, you know, I'm going to go to the store and pick up a pair of shoes. It's like I'm buying a software product that's going to be embedded in my company for 16, 20 months. I need to really think this through. That's a whole different animal. So anyway, I think you get the point. Yeah, absolutely. So keeping track of time here, Warren, um, like myself, right, eight years ago, um, I wanted to be this Ferrari driving, you know, master salesperson. Um, And I still think that, you know, I think of, the, the role of a C-level executive now, now that I've you know, been in software sales eight years, I've seen the tremendous pressure that goes along with, or should go along with that title, right? Like a true earned CRO who's responsible across the entire life cycle, marketing to sales to customer success. Like that's a, that's a weight that not a lot of people should want to carry, let alone do carry. Yep. And so what... Um, what kind of wrapping this up, what would be your biggest piece of advice for people who are thinking like, hey, I don't just want to be a VP of sales. I don't just want to be an SVP of global sales. I want to be that CRO and own that entire life cycle of revenue start to finish. What would you tell that person today thinking about wanting to be in that role next year? Great question. Thank you for that. Well, the first thing I'd say is you're right, is that it's not for everybody. And I think the first thing to do is to first, like, if you don't talk to me or, you know, whatever, and you, you do, for some reason, through the ether, or get the idea and understanding that the role is much more complicated. The first thing you have to do is say, is that the role for me? That's the first thing, right? And you have to be honest with yourself. Like, you may just be great at running sales teams, and that's just a perfectly very good thing to do, and it's fine. And if that's the case, then that's what you should do. You just all run sales teams and just get as high up in our hierarchy as you can doing it. And, and I'd also say, as a caveat as well, this is a really good piece of advice, is some of the c- senior salespeople that are listening to this and that I speak to are probably thinking, you know what? There still are plenty of companies out there that'll hire me as a CRO and let me run sales. I'm just going to do that. And here's why that's a mistake. 
because they don't last. They don't last. It doesn't work. There's a higher chance that you'll end up leaving that job in 12 months than not. So I just don't do that. It's an ego thing and it's not going to work. But for the person that says, you know what, this is a really great opportunity. I'm excited about this. This is something that attracts me. Here's what I think. I'm going to make an assumption. and I'm probably right about this. For the person that finds this particular type of job exciting, that type of person probably already has an existing understanding of how all these things work together. That's why they're interested in it. You know, it's not like they're going to come to this thing totally cold. The people that come into a job of this type are ones whom have the nature where they're thinking more strategically already, you know? So I would ask like, where is the complexity and sophistication of that thinking? Like, have you been as a salesperson or as a sales leader, what is your interaction with marketing? What's your understanding of the way that marketing affects your job? When you think about a new customer and they come on board, what is your understanding of the way a customer is on board and what their experience is like? And I'd be starting to ask yourself, really be honest with yourself. If you were to look at like 100% being complete knowledge, do you have a 5% understanding of that thing? A 10% understanding of that? Like, what is it? And just be honest about how much you think you feel you've got a good understanding, not mastery, because you're not going to get that understanding of the bigger picture, right? Because that's the way that you're going to advance into this position because you can bring that thinking to an opportunity, right? And so I would start today, start today. If you're a sales leader and you want to be a CRO in the way that I'm describing it, go over and talk to the CMO, if there is one, or the head of marketing and say, why don't we have meetings every week? Let's have a meeting every week because I think it'd be really great if I understood the way you, the, what you guys do impacts what we do and helps us. And that way we can make it better, right? I want to help you succeed, Mr. Marketing Person. Yep. Because if you guys can give us great leads and we close them, then we both win. I don't think we're doing that. So be the leader and go make that bridge and set up a system where you and the marketing person meet regularly. You don't have to tell your boss. Just do it. And Dig into their numbers. Ask this marketing person, how are you measured? Get to how you guys go to market? Like, how do you determine how you're going to do this? And how, what are you being uh, measured against? What's success? You know, how does that relate to me? And, and as that relationship evolves, if you do that for six months, you're going to have so much more of an understanding about the entire revenue operation that a salesperson that just stays in their silo and doesn't go out of it. And I do the same thing with customer success. I would encourage this. Build a team independently of leaders and be the person who creates a bridge of understanding and co and, and cohesion and figure out ways that you can make the two work together. And there's no way that anyone can lose from that type of a move. And I think yeah. that it will give you an incredible opportunity to be able to go to your next job and say, here, this is what I did. And I think that's a good start. So that, that's my answer. I love that. I love that. It's, um, and I love that you added in that customer success component because in my experience, I mean, I've been, I've sold deals, Warren, as an individual contributor that I know my customer success team cringed at every time that customer got on a call. Yeah, and yeah, been- there, was, there was a correlation between the lead source, the dollar size of the deal, and that customer's churn risk. And when you start to understand how to put all those pieces together, like, it becomes something truly powerful that not a lot of people understand. And so start doing that today. I love, I love that advice because it's a kind of don't act. It's, you know, don't dress for the job you have dress for the job you want. It's, you know, 
Exactly. That's great. So, you know, start acting that's like the name. The that's the name of this episode. That's the name of this episode. Okay. Dress for the job you want. That, that, that's it. it. You just got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, Warren, yeah. this was, this was awesome. Um, for anybody who wants to get a hold of you, learn more about the CRO collective. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple ways. So uh, my website, the collective.com There's a lot there. A lot of really good stuff to read. There's all different podcasts and things. And then my, my email address is Warren at sierracollective.com. And uh, if you Google me, I'm the only Warren Zen in the entire world, so I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> um, and then I'll put a little buzz in here for, you know, the Zen Consulting Group is an agency. So we actually are a marketing agency. We're probably one of the top organic growth marketing agencies in the country. And so uh, any company that's looking for, like, really superstar, top-notch growth marketing or audio audience acquisition, you know, Zen Consulting Group zenitconsulting.com is another place you can look to. But I appreciate the opportunity. This is a great conversation, and, uh, and thank you so much for, for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, Warren. Uh, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And um, we'll talk soon, sir. Thank you so much. Bye.